0: What we've seen actually is neighbor-to-neighbor food sharing up dramatically versus pre-COVID-19 versus the old normal.
1: Sasha, co-founder of the food sharing app, Olio, thank you for taking some time out of your day uh, to have a quick chat with me.
0: It's a delight actually to speak to someone who who I'm not related to, so thanks for inviting me. Me.
1: No worries. First of all, can you start by telling me what was your old normal and what is your new normal?
0: So the old normal for Olio, um, I mean at its heart Olio is a neighbor-to-neighbor food sharing platform. Um, it's been that way since we founded in 2015. Our vision is to bring people together in the local community to share our most precious resource, which we believe is food and as I'm sure you're aware, you know, a tragic... Um, portion of food um, over a third goes to waste. It's really bad for the environment. It makes no sense because we have people who um, aren't getting enough food to eat. It's just absolutely senseless. So um, the thing is half of all food waste takes place in the homes. So our vision and um, our purpose is to to fix that by connecting neighbors to share. Um, It's um, the new normal is not that much different, but there have been some really interesting um, opportunities that have emerged. Um, and also I would say that the the what we are, uh, essentially a neighbor-to-neighbor food sharing app, has all of a sudden become very relevant to a large number of people who previously might have thought, oh, that's a lovely, nice idea, but I don't have time for it. Um, and so what we've seen actually is um, neighbor-to-neighbor food sharing up uh, dramatically um versus previous versus pre or you know versus pre-COVID-19 versus the old normal um i don't know if it's because people are at home or because the, the, the which means they have more time um or because it's just become the value of food has become really clear especially when you're talking about food shortages empty shelves um and people who are self-isolating so um yeah, so that's a little bit, I guess, of, uh, of the difference.
1: I know you've got a couple of incredible campaigns out at the moment. Yep. Can you just tell us a little bit about those? Did they, did you come up with these specifically in the last six weeks? So you've got Cook for Carers and Cook for Kids.
0: As soon as this, we heard about school closures, we, um, you know, I'm actually class rep for my son. He's um, in year three. Um, and a lot of questions were coming through from parents about school meals and the implications for um, well, just generally what life would be like after schools were closed, but also what about those children that um, depend upon those free school meals? And um, I think um, my, my co-founder Tessa was out jogging, which is usually when she gets her run Um I mean, But she came up with hashtag cook for, care, cook for kids. Um, and it was something that immediately everyone got quite excited about, um, the idea of cooking fresh homemade meals for, not just for children, but for their, the whole families, so or anyone that's really um, affected by by lockdown and school closures. Um, so we reached out. We've done this in the past. Um, we've tried to connect with celebrity chefs, and we've had no, no luck whatsoever. But I guess the the campaign was um, you know it was timely and relevant, and um, we had an enormously positive response from lots of different um, so-called celebrity chefs. Um, Hugh Fernley, Winningstall—I can never pronounce his name—and Melissa Hemsley and James Martin, and um, actually dozens who stepped forward. Um, and this was really important because um, they amplified our campaign across social. They provided recipes. Um, you know, they were just in the print edition of Grazia. I saw today Melissa Hemsley was talking about Olio, so it really helped us to get reach and and reach mainstream um, everyday um, Brits who might not otherwise know about Olio. Um, but then we quickly realized that it's quite a narrow category, just cooking for kids. And the reality is that um, there are lots of other people, essential workers, frontline staff, um, you know, people who are now entered into a vulnerable situation because they have become recently unemployed. Um, and so we extended the campaign by adding the hashtag cook for carers. Um, and we partnered with the NHS, who's promoted that to frontline staff. Both Cook for Kids and Cook for Carers have been extremely successful. We've seen, last time I looked, well over 5,000 meals that have been shared on the app using those hashtags specifically. Um, and of course, there's loads of sharing that's taking place um, um, just in general, um, maybe not um, using the hashtag as part of the listing, so we don't know if it's directly related to the campaign or not. Um, and I think people feel it's just a really nice easy simple way to make a contribution we all feel a bit powerless i think in this situation unless you know not necessarily certain how we can contribute most effectively um and cooking a few spare portions of food is fun you can get your kids involved and um there's just such demand out there you know anything that's listed is usually requested in in minutes um so it really is making a difference
1: So what does that look like then in terms of a process So say, if I want to get involved with cook for kids or cook for carers, step one, download the app. What next
0: step one? Uh, yeah, just download the app. It's free. Um, you know, sort of sign up, um, and there's a big pink plus button, um, um, right at the bottom, which is where you can add a listing. Um, and you simply, you know, there's a few different ways you could do it. Um, depending on where you live, if you're in London or a city, I can pretty much guarantee that whatever you cook or prepare will be requested. If you're in some place a bit more remote um, and there, you know, you might not know if there's other Oleoers near you, although there are ways to see how many people are near you in the app, it's quite straightforward, um, you could do what we call a pre-listing. So a pre-listing, you would simply put in a stock photo of some food, um, let's say we are making you know, spaghetti bolognese, you would just add a picture, you say, I'm happy to make up to 10 portions or five portions or whatever it is that you're willing to do for anyone who um, would appreciate a home-cooked meal, um, happy to cook for children and their families affected by school closures, happy to cook for carers um, as a priority. Um, many people, me too, I'm happy to cook for anyone who's willing to and, need, and needs it, and I don't necessarily like to make people feel um, like they need to qualify why they might be requesting the food, but you can easily say priority for, you know, families and and carers. You put the hashtag in if you want to unlock your badge um, and then you basically just upload it and that will send when you create a listing which takes which is a lot simpler than what it sounds like. I just described it takes you know 10 or 20 seconds. Um, It will send a push notification to other users nearby to let them know that you have added something. Now in this instance you haven't actually added something but you've given um, your neighbors a heads up that you're more than willing to cook for them. And then if it's something they're interested in, they would just request that listing and say, you know what, I'd be, I'd love four portions. Um, you know, I could come at this time. And then you go about cooking for them and they pop around. Now, Obviously, you can't um, leave your house except for essential, essential activities. Um, and you're not supposed to come into contact with others. So what everyone is doing is hiding outside in a safe space. Um, and sort of just messaging a few minutes before they arrive and then putting it on their doorstep um, so that there's a no-contact handover. Um, and then also we have um, sort of, we've prevented people from adding non-essential listings to the app sure. um, during this time. And we've also really have very strong messaging about don't make an extra trip for Oleo, but if you can fit it in on your daily trip to the supermarket or exercise, then it's fine.
1: So simple and brilliant. So what has what's the impact of these two campaigns been have there been any any feedback any positive feedback or any stories
0: there's endless numbers of stories oleo wouldn't exist without stories i mean every day tens of thousands of times people are meeting on the doorstep to share food and other essential household items the stories um are the positive stories are just so abundant we even have a twitter feed a twitter handle that's just dedicated to stories called oleo stories where we screenshot stories and share them all day long. So yesterday, um, someone wrote to me, said that she had done the campaign over the weekend, um, Cook for Kara specifically, and that within minutes of cooking, um, a nurse, who's also the mother of two children, came and um, requested and picked up the food. And then she had sent me the screenshot of their exchange. And it was very sweet because the person who collected just said how eternally grateful she was to have um, to have access to the food, and that she um, felt a bit emotional because it's the first time she's ever picked up food before. But that it really did make a big difference, and you know, thank God there are you know angels all around, more or less, looking after each other. So those are the stories, um, the names, the faces um, that we try and highlight on um, on our our Twitter and Instagram feeds. Just to inspire people and bring it, bring it to life, really.
1: Taking it a bit broader, so we're not just talking around COVID 19, what I'm actually really interested in is your vision. Mm-hmm. So, your vision as a business, and I guess you as an individual, is that everyone on the planet should have enough food to eat without destroying the world or destroying the planet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm interested to see where this came from because I did a little bit of snooping on your LinkedIn. I saw that you had an extensive um, yeah. corporate background. What happened? Yeah. What, what, what happened to get you onto this path?
0: Well, what's not on LinkedIn is sort of what what happened before I was 18 years old. Um, I, was, um, I was raised by hardcore hippies in rural America. So uh, my last name, you know, a Celestial One, my parents made that up. I had a very untraditional childhood. Um, I'm the oldest of six children, and we grew up, um, at least for the first part of my childhood, um, not very well off. So my, my mom was really, really resourceful, um, and I was her sort of scavenger buddy and we would collect things all around town that other people thrown away from food to plants to um you know toilet fixtures from houses that were being torn down and we we sold we repurposed we upcycled and that's how we made ends meet so as a kid i learned very very early that things of value shouldn't go to waste and i really really internalized that and i it makes me you know, feel physically pained when I see like excess and di- think disposable, uh, disposable waste of any kind. Um, but I also really rebelled against that. Um, I, w- I said, you know what, this isn't how I want to live my life. I really wanted much more financial security and professional security than my parents had. And so I, you know, I was a sort of straight A student who as soon as she could, like left her small town and went to New York City to work at an investment bank. And it took me a good, more than a decade of working in, um, you know, in banking and management consulting. I got my business school, you know, I got my MBA, et cetera. It took me quite a long time before I felt secure. Yeah. Um, And, but I did reach that point and coincidentally, it was around the time I was becoming a mother and I just realized that I was a fish out of water and I had a really strong desire to, my parents were entrepreneurs and I, as a kid, had At least a dozen micro, you know, different businesses. And before Olio, I started the business as well. And I just had a strong desire to return to um, doing something or find something that I woke up every day absolutely convinced it was the most important thing I could be spending my precious, my precious hours of the day on, uh, especially if I was going to be spending time away from my my child. So Tessa was at a similar. Tessa's very different, but also very similar thematic upbringing and then professional career and then coming full circle to the values you're raised with Um, and she's my best you know one of my best friends from business school and we were at similar points in our lives and um, and decided to put our heads together and that's when we came up with oleo
1: what learnings would you give from running oleo getting to this point what is the one thing that stands out for you
0: i do really believe in the the mantra to do things that don't scale oleo is born out of that. Um, We never build anything or automate anything or invest in anything until the manual version of that is completely broken. This is all sort of lean startup methodology, Um, I really recommend that every entrepreneur read at least once if not multiple times the lean startup and figure out how to incorporate that into into their business. and it's only when you've done something and it's, you know, it, when you're doing something manually that that isn't scalable and you get to the point where like it breaks, that's when we improve it or fix it or invest in it. It's really tempting when you've got scarce resources, you yeah. want to sort of accelerate and, and develop something um, that's, you know, Because you have an idea in your head of what do you think it needs to be or how the market's going to respond, or customers are going to respond, or users, but until you actually get that real feedback, um, then um, you're just building in a vacuum. The other piece of advice, sorry, is just to listen to podcasts and to listen to other entrepreneurs. Um, I am an obsessive podcast listener. I probably listen to 20 hours a week, and I've been doing that since the beginning. Um, you can learn so much. There's almost nothing out there that someone hasn't tried or a question that someone hasn't answered. And the more people, entrepreneurs you listen to, the more pattern recognition you see. Um, so that, that's also a good tip. On,
1: on that point, around, because this is essentially all that I'm trying to do here. So giving other people who may be in a similar boat to you or a future entrepreneur or future social entrepreneur. I want them to be able to listen to this and be inspired and actually generate some learning. So based on your first point around the Lean Startup methodology, can you actually give, because you're an app, right? It's a tech-based business. Can you give an example of how you applied the uh, Lean methodology to uh, solve a particular error in your business or to, or to arrive at some kind of breakthrough?
0: When we came up with the idea for Ovio, we sat down and we wireframed what is essentially oil today, uh, oleo today? Well, before we built anything, we had to see if people would actually uh, perform the underlying behavior that we were hoping to facilitate, which was to share food with strangers and then walk over or uh, to someone else's house and pick up food that was donated by a stranger. So, lean startup methodology is that we didn't build anything. We made a WhatsApp group, and we recruited 12 strangers um, through a, a, a type form survey that we did that we blasted on the local Facebook groups, and we put those 12 strangers in a WhatsApp group for two weeks, and we said, you know, the rules were simple. Share food you don't want, and if you want it, private message and go pick it up. So over those two weeks, we saw 26 shares successfully take place. And when we debriefed the participants, they all said, first of all, you have to build this. That was such an amazing experience. It felt so good. And it was really fun. And by the way, it doesn't really need to be much better than this WhatsApp group. So immediately, we were able to strip out all kinds of features, ratings, map, the, you know, categories. We still don't have a search button, right? Because it hasn't broken. And it's not like, so we never build anything until we really know that building it will help.
1: You mentioned your tech team, how big is your tech team? And are they in house or are they outsourced?
0: We're, so we're a fully remote team, always have been. Tech team, goodness, I wanna say nine, eight. And,
1: and The reason I'm asking is um, how did it start off tech? Were you always in house and you just had a few freelancers working with you or did you start outsource? Like what were those first stepping stones into initially building out that tech?
0: Um, so the very first thing we did when it was just Tess and I, and we were just bootstrapped, in the summer yeah. of 2015, as we found an agency called SimpleWeb, based in Bristol, who we love to this day. Um, and in exchange, in exchange for a small equity stake, they agreed to build the MVP version of the app at a reduced cost. So, that's how we got the very basic version built, and then um, it included uh, um, roughly sort of six months of ongoing support. During those six months, that's when it's our job to build, the product is the app, but more so the product is the users. Without the network of users, the app has no, you need both. You need to
1: show the product market fit, right? And the product is yes. a vehicle, the app is a vehicle to do so.
0: Yeah, so, we, so during those six months, then we, you know, you know, without going into too many details, um, worked really, 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 really hard to build up the network of users so that we could demonstrate traction so that we could then take that traction to go fundraise and then um, when we um, closed our um, our seed round in october of 2015 and we immediately hired a lead developer who's still with us today who leads the tech team.
1: that seems like a very very rational and pragmatic approach right because you struck up a deal so that you brought in outside support so you had that team and then you were sole fo- solely focused on generating that product market fit to give you that leverage to talk with investors. If anyone else who's looking to build an app or a tech based product or solution, would you suggest them going down that same route?
0: Um, One thing I would suggest is that you probably don't need to build, I wouldn't build an app until you've sort of outgrown um, like a mobile web app Yeah. because that's a lot cheap. Apps are really expensive um, and and um, they require a lot of maintenance. Um, and I think that mobile web um, apps have been pre- moved on and provide so much functionality now that you can get by without an app for a long time. That would be my recommendation.
1: Because yeah. I think a lot of people like apps because it's like a buzzword and it's something to jump on and, and it's almost a hot new thing, right? Where actually you can't yeah. just bring out an app and it replacing the need. To provide genuine value to an end user
0: i mean 80 percent of all app downloads are deleted within you know 10 minutes
1: and there's stats around the amount of apps that people actually use as well and it's all around creating a habit especially something like Olio. it's around creating a habit yeah. around using the app i want to finish on three power questions so we end every single okay, goodness. episode we <laughs> we end every single episode with these three questions the point is not dwell on it i usually have a tendency to want to dwell on it and i do that follow follow up but I'll ask a question, you answer from the gut, and we'll just have a back and forth. Ready?
0: My gut's a bit bigger since I've been home for the last two months.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm ready. First of all, what shifts would you like to see in society after COVID-19, when things have started to return back to a shred of normality?
0: Very much would like to see, I don't know if it's possible, but I'd like to see a, a continuation in the sort of decreased level of carbon emissions, whether that's more people who move towards cycling, from driving, or more people who decide they don't need to commute at all, because they actually work from home quite productively. I believe that there will be a knock-on effect into the quote-unquote new normal, and that that will result in less output, environmental negative output, and I hope that that can be sustained.
1: What will you tell your hypothetical great-grandchildren when it comes to the topic of COVID-19?
0: I think I will tell them it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where the whole world pressed pause at the same time and that um, their father was old enough um, to remember it and he spent 12 weeks out of school um, self-learning and it was a really special opportunity um, to experience a collective global
1: pause. Last question. What's keeping you going, personally and professionally?
0: Online gym classes are helping a lot, and, and then professionally, it's the realization that obviously the situation is very severe. In that, there's going to be a huge economic shock. There's been a huge health shock. Lots of people have lost loved ones. I don't want to minimize any of that tragedy yep. or suffering. Yeah. But. We are one of the organizations that is going to benefit from this, and that we've been spending a long time trying to persuade people that now might be the time to share um, to share resources with with people nearby and to be to be generous and to be to stop to stop and pause and be more community minded. And the cat the COVID nineteen crisis has been a catalyst for people to reconsider. Um, their role within the community. And it they've then found out that Olio is literally a perfect platform for helping them to, to behave in this new way. So for us, what's professionally, I'm really excited to see um, on the other side, um, more mainstream people using Olio.
1: Brilliant. And yeah, like conversations I've been having and internally and externally is obviously taking away the fact that it's a tragedy and people have lost loved ones and people are in terrible situations yeah. this is it's a positive for catalyst change it's a <laughs> it's a catalyst for positive change for positive
0: change yep
1: yeah especially when there's businesses like olio who have such a authentic mission behind them as well it's almost there's an opportunity to positively take advantage of this sentiment that's in the air that's come as yes. a result of this collective pause right people yep. are now much more introspective much more um, able to think about their own impact on their surroundings and their environment so coming in with an offering like Olio especially with your five years previously of building that groundwork where that solution is there it's got that social proof I think that's the key and that's the key to any business like Olio who's actually looking to create a tangible change anyone who's pioneering something a new behavior a new product would go through years of people just thinking they're ridiculous or stupid, they'll never catch on. And something like this needs to happen for it to come into public consciousness. It to move from the early doctors to to the mainstream. To the more mainstream, exactly, exactly. It's an exciting time for for Olio specifically. Sasha, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to releasing this.
0: Thank you so much. Enjoy the last of the lockdown.